Well, again, good morning to you. It's so good to be with you. Uh, I've been gone for a couple of weeks, and uh, I've missed you guys. I've missed being with you. I was excited to get back and to be here, um, but I know you've had amazing opportunities to worship the last couple of weeks as well. And so I'm excited for that, and I'm grateful that God has blessed in such ways. Um, I've got some numbers I'd like to share with you. These are numbers that you may want to jot down. They're just very interesting to me. Um, you may go, I think later on, you might go, you know, I wish I would have written that down. So I'm letting you know. You might want to write this down. Um, average life expectancy of a man in Afghanistan. You're going, I don't need to know that. Just, just listen. Average life expectancy of a man in Afghanistan is 36 years old. I would have died a year ago. Actually, eight. <laughs> 36 years old. Ethiopia is 39. Mozambique, Congo, 44. Nigeria, 46. Ours is roughly 77-ish. Think of it like this. Today, there are 825 million adults... 825 million, that's a lot of zeros, 825 million adults who are illiterate, which means they can't read the Bible. 125,000 children die from malnutrition. And from diseases that we take care of from a little shot. 125,000 every week. Do the math. That's half a million a month. You start thinking of it. In fact, um, there's a guy, David Barrett, I've read of him numerous times. He's considered a, a leading expert in terms of missions around the world. And he says that 23% of the world's population today, that's 1.8 billion people. 1.8 billion people, 23% of the world's population today is completely, totally ignorant of Christ and Christianity. They've never heard of it. They've never grasped it. They've never been mentioned a word about it. That's 23%, 1.8 billion people. And there's war. There's poverty. Guys, we don't, we don't feel the, the war with guns here in terms of armies walking around. But we have a war within this country. I'm, I'm counseling a couple um, and... I can't even tell you his name, actually, um, but he lives in D.C. And he is second in charge to the commissioner for something called Homeland Security. You ever heard anything about it? The border, all that kind of stuff taking place. And he just says, everything you're hearing, he goes, every day I go to work and it's crisis. And everything you're hearing, he goes, nothing, nothing's true. Nothing is true. He goes, there's crisis, and the, he says the hatred amongst people who are leading our country is so severe, he's waiting for it to explode. 
And so I think about not only what's happening within this country, but I think about what's happening around the world. And now we sit here when it's going to be 187 degrees today in air conditioning. That's the heat index. And we have lighting. And we have cars to drive around in. And we're going to go home and... For some of us, our biggest stress for the rest of the afternoon is thinking about work tomorrow. Did you know 12 o'clock on Sunday is the loneliest time of the year, uh, of the day, or the week for people? Because they say that's the first time that they think about having to go to work tomorrow. But our stress is knowing what to feed our kids when we go home. And so I think about all of this, and the reason I'm telling you is if that's the situation, and yet then we have people like Zach who come, and they're baptized, and they're declaring Christ, and that's just, that was another step in the, his faith journey. And I think about all these things, and if that's what we're saying, I say, who is it that you declare to be Lord and Savior? And he's saying what? Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. If that is where we are, if that's what we believe, if that's what's taking place in our lives, the question is this, what is our responsibility as Christians? Christians in the world today in which we live. What is our responsibility in that? What should the life of a Christian look like? When you have a quarter of our, our, of our world, in, in essence, who doesn't, has never heard of Christ Jesus. When you have almost a billion people who aren't even able to read the gospel, much less have access to it. When you have 125,000 children dying around the world on a weekly basis, what should the life of a Christian look like? Because what we declare is that now our life is made new. The old is gone, the new has come. Our life doesn't look like it did anymore, amen. We have a hope and a promise and an encouragement and we have a peace and a comfort that is beyond anything else in this world, amen. And so if we believe that, it overwhelms you. It covers you. Just as the waters covered Zach, it covers you. And it changes your perspective. And what it does is it begins to give you a courage that you've never had before. And that's one of the things we get to talk about today when we talk about inhaling. We're looking at Psalm 46 and we're talking about what it is to inhale the fact that Christ is here with us no matter what. And so it gives us a courage that we've never had before. It gives us a courage to be able to reach out and to change the way that we live. Why? Because Jesus Here was the response of Christ for people who didn't know him. You know what he often did? He wept for them. He had compassion on them. And the struggle that we're having today is that he also says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And we have all of this hurt and all of this pain And some of you who are sitting here today, you're one of those people in the hurt and one of those people in the pain. And it's physical pain, it's emotional pain, it's spiritual pain for some of you, it's relational pain for some of you. 
And yet God is shouting out that he's our refuge. And he's giving us a courage. If you really accept and process what God has done for you, it gives you a courage. Guys, Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the godly regardless of the earthly cost. That's what it is. Biblical godly courage is not jumping off of an eight-foot diving board. That's what we've, we've reverted to. That's what we've gone to. Christian courage, godly courage, is the willingness to say and do the godly regardless of earthly cost. To, to do whatever we can to, to absorb his presence and then to live that out because we know that so many people are hurting today. And by definition, it's, it's courage. It's courage because it can be painful. If there wasn't the, the possibility and even the likelihood of it being painful, then there would be no courage that's needed in order to do it. Nobody says, well, that was easy. Look how courageous I was. A few weeks ago, um, I was power, wash, power washing the second floor of my house, which means I crawled up on the roof on a ladder, and, and, and I had the power wash up there, and as soon as I got up there, my foot did this, and the ladder fell. And I was still on the second floor of the house. Now, here's the problem with that. One, nobody was home. Two, I sat down on the roof and waited for at least 15 minutes. I'm like, I live in a cul-de-sac. One of these six houses is going to drive home. And I'm going to call out to them, and they're going to come help me. I didn't hear a bird chirp. <laughs> Ten years ago, I would have said, whatever, and I would have just jumped down. This ain't ten years ago. But I did it anyway. And so I have a twitch. And we think about those kind of things. Oh, man, that was, that was crazy. No, that's not courage, guys. That's not. It's probably stupid. <laughs> courage is looking at a neighbor or a friend or a colleague who you know is hurting and walking up to him and saying, you know what? Right now, I want to pray for you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I've been told no before. No, I don't want you to. And I'll just say, you know what? I love you, though, and God does too. And you just need to know I'm going to be praying for you anyway. That's courage. Courage is the willingness to do what God wants you to do in a relationship that you know is like this. And someone has wronged you over and over and over again. And so you don't trust them. And so what you do is you go, you know what? I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to forgive them anyway. They don't have to ask for forgiveness I'm just going to care for them. I'm going to show them the love of God. That's courage. And that's the courage that we can have. That's the courage that you can have. When you absorb and process Psalms 46, if God is your strength, 
Here's the message of Psalm 46. If God is your strength, you are designed to live a life of courage. If God is your refuge, if God is your strength, if God is your fortress, you are designed to live a life of courage. You are designed to live a life of crazy courage. To do radical things, to impact others, to see the face of God Almighty. That's exciting. And that's how God made you. And that's what God has in store for you. Some of Jesus' final words in John 17, verse 4. You can just scribble down John 17, verse 4, because he says this. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. What's the work that God has given to you? Do you even know? And are you running toward it? God's work for you is more than making it just barely scraping by for tomorrow. It's greater than that. And so we look at this passage in Psalm 46. And it begins, it says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah. And you need to know, according to Alamoth, a song. This passage is so powerful. One of the reasons is a poem, or it's a, it is a song, and it's in three different uh, portions. You're going to see three different places where it says Selah, and really what that's doing is it's breaking up into three primary different parts. Think of it as a song. It's three primary different, or three different stanzas, or chorus of uh, uh, verses. And it talks about Alamoth. That's actually uh, a word that would would help us to understand that it's really designed for sopranos, right? So be glad it's not for baritones, otherwise I would sing the whole thing right now. And so it was designed in this way, and, and it lets us see this celebration of God. And he's celebrating, this is a celebration of who God is because he is our rock, he is our fortress, he is our strength, regardless of what's happening, regardless of what's taking place. And so we see this, and he says, very first, very first verse, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. You know what, one of the things I've learned today is many of us, we say these types of words desiring that they were true rather than believing that they were true. You see the difference, right? That's why I think there's sometimes power. And when I thank God today for what he's going to do tomorrow, because I believe in his power and I trust his lordship regardless of how something unfolds. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble and it's this amazing metaphor. In fact, rock, fortress, refuge, that imagery, those words, rock, fortress, refuge, that imagery is used 78 times in the Psalms. It's this metaphor, it's this, this understanding of, wow, he is our rock. Your refuge is what you run to when you have nowhere else to go. 78 different times he's calling this out. And he's reassuring everyone that God is in control. God's presence brings the peace that we need. 
Now, let me, I, I, need, I need for us to start thinking about, probably several of us, God differently. We need to think about it differently. Often we think that God is our refuge and our strength, um, which means that there is an absence of difficulty or an absence of conflict. And then when there is conflict, when there is difficulty, when there's a relationship that's doing this, or when there is financial hardship, or whatever that may be for you, then we go, well, why is God doing this to me? It's why we have coined the phrase so often, why do good, uh, bad things happen to good people? And it's because even the asking of that question says that you can have an improper thinking of who God is. What this passage is communicating, and you're going to see it as it falls through all these verses, is that there's chaos, and there's turmoil, and there's hardship, and there's difficulty in life. And in the midst of that, God is your peace. And he is your refuge. It doesn't mean that God is God because he eliminates those things. He says, now you have my peace and my comfort and my strength and my refuge in the midst of those difficulties. So when you're thinking, well, bad things happen to me. I don't like God anymore. Maybe I don't even believe in God anymore. I certainly am not going to worship God anymore. You had the wrong mentality of God. That is you thinking in a very basic level that the God of the universe should do whatever I want. To make my life easy. Wow, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. That's arrogant. And so we got to be careful how we think about God and who he is. This peace, this, right? Shalom is what we would say. We, we often say that. You've seen that over and over it's not the absence of the conflict, but it happens in the chaos when we recognize God's presence. God is our refuge, our strength. We, we don't believe that. We certainly, we don't talk like that anymore. But yet we speak how we believe. That he is our refuge. It says, though the mountains shake... And the heart of the sea, though it's waters roar and foam, we start looking at all this and we recognize that he is a place of refuge. This place of refuge, it actually communicates this impenetrable fortress that cannot be broken. Therefore, verse 2 and 3, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Right? By the way, these are all the natural catastrophes that would be happening in the Middle East. These are things that they would be familiar with. And he's using it as another metaphor. It doesn't matter what is crumbling. It doesn't matter the chaos and the turmoil around me. I still know that he's my God. And he's my fortress, my rock. No matter what's taking place. He says in verse 4 and 5 that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. It's funny because in verse 2 and 3 you have these 
the, the trembling and the shaking and the roaring of the, the water, and you have all this stuff taking place. Right? It reminds me, uh, I, we went down to Florida, went to the beach. Um, we just knew how cool it would be down there. Um, and we're in the ocean, and we didn't get to swim much in the ocean. Every day, it seems that they had the red flag flying high, which means don't get in the water. And I would go out even to here, and I was working hard to not let the current pull me out. And so for my little kids, we had a knee rule. You go to, to the knee, right? You go above that. And I remember for one of them, even then, they started going, and I just reached out, and I grabbed his arm. I said, uh-uh, sand. And you think about, sometimes that's how we feel. We feel that the world is just ripping us away from security and pulling us out to sea. And that's what this describing. But then in verse 4, all of a sudden, it has this shift. It's amazing, the writing here, because all of a sudden it says, and describes, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You go from the chaos and, and the churning and the storm, and you go from all this to all of a sudden there's streams. And you think about the gentleness. It's here in this passage in Psalm 46 in verse 4 where I go, oh, Psalm 23. <laughs> and I think about that. And sitting with God. And what he's saying is, hey, it's not one or the other. It's that you can have that peace of sitting and, and drinking from the stream in the midst of the storm. Maybe some of you have lost someone before. And even in that loss, because of Christ, because of God, knowing who they are with Christ, there's peace in that. It doesn't mean the hardship's not there, but there's there's contentment. There, there's comfort in that. That was me a week ago, a memorial service for my father on the farm he grew up on. Even in the midst of that, being able to speak to people and letting them know the assurance of who God is. Even in the midst of crisis in their life. That's what it is. Why? Because he's the most high. He's the most high, it says. Verse 6 and 7, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's more than even a refuge. He's the, he's the active counterforce to all the chaos. And the more you sit in this passage, the more you discover, and it's an invitation for you as well, to discover the difference between eternal significance or temporary success. And so many of us are so busy running and even seeing our life in terms of temporary success, we don't understand the eternal significance of what this passage is really about. Because I know that he is an ever-present help, ever-present help. That he will not abandon. That's an eternal thing. And we're walking through so many storms because we're chasing the temporary. Something we speak about often here. 
Because I can tell you the people who are living for the temporary and the people who are living for the eternal. I can tell you the difference. I can point them out to you. And he's coming and he's letting us know that the nations can rage and the kingdoms totter, that things are going to fall. But he will always be present. Guys, there's no risk in stepping away from temporary success and running toward eternal significance if you actually believe that he is your refuge. If I jump off of a cliff with a, a, a rappelling rope, a climbing rope, and I've got the harness on, and so I'm just going to jump off the cliff, and I trust all that gear. There's really no courage involved. I've done it before off of 300-foot railroad trestles, nothing beneath but a stream about eight inches deep. The water doesn't help at that distance. You just jump because you trust the gear that you have on. The only time that you really feel that you need to have courage is when you don't trust the gear. And the struggle that we're having is we don't really trust God to be our refuge. We don't really trust Him and we don't live accordingly. We don't allow ourselves to live in that way. And so he tells us then, come, behold the works of the Lord. Don't you know, it says, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He's going to make wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. All the mechanisms of war. It's all going to crumble. He's going to burn the chariots with fire. He's saying, don't forget, God's got all of this. Anybody here married, raise your hand. No matter the storm of your relationship, God's got it. If you chase him, that's the key. Anybody who's married ever had a disagreement in that marriage, raise your hand. If someone raised their hand the first time and not the second time, lean over to them now and say, liar. I, I will always tell you that God can redeem your relationship no matter what has happened. And no matter what you've done and no matter what has taken place, God can restore your relationship, your marriage. Because God's got this. God's doing a mighty work. And so all of a sudden he jumps into verse 10 and this is what he says. He says, be still. This is a very, Psalm 46.10, popular passage if you don't know. People, uh, if, you've, if you've grown up in the church, it's one that you hear about. He says, be still and know that I am God. He says, I will, and that, the problem with it is that that's where people stop. Be still and know that I am God. And so they don't understand the significance of it. When you, only re, when you just go, be still and know that I am God, you leave it with a whimper. When you recognize what's happening around it, 
you go, wow, there's a bang. It gets loud because there's nations roaring and there's storms brewing and the, the waters are just crazy and they're sucking you and they're pulling you out to sea. But wait, be still, know that I am God. Like it's in. Think about the crescendo of a song. Remember, it's broken up in three parts. So you had this crescendo. To me, the be still and know that I am God, even though we read it real quiet, be still and know that. It's the crescendo. No matter if your relationships are falling apart, if you're having financial difficulty, if you can't find a job, no matter how you were abused as a child, no matter what it is, God is greater. That's a crescendo. Sit in him. Rest in him. Continue. He says, I will. This is not a, hey, maybe this will happen. This is a fact. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. One of the struggles that we're having today is, guys, we don't sit enough. Right? We're just so much in a hurry. And when we do stop and we finally start to rest, we listen to somebody else telling us what to think. And to be still, it literally means to cease. In Hebrew, it means to cease. It means to be inactive. To be inactive. Don't, that means don't do anything. And when you're in that way, so often is when you can hear God stepping into your life. That's one of my invitations for each of you is sometime. Do it. I, I'm asking for one hour this next week. For the next six days. How about that? And what I'm wanting is for ten minutes for you every day just to sit and be still with God. And you're going, well, we go to church. Isn't that what we do? Only about 40% read the Bible on a weekly basis of the people who go to church. So to, to think that all of us are sitting and still and inactive with God, no. That's my, I, I want to invite you to do it because you're going to be blessed. You're going to be encouraged by doing it. Ten minutes. If you're not willing to give him ten minutes, don't yell at God for not doing what you want when you want to give him the value of ten minutes. Just ten minutes to be still and to sit with God. Because what it's reminding us is when he's, he's conquering all nations, the nations will totter, they will tremble, they will fall apart. He's going to conquer every mechanism of war. What he's coming in and saying is you need to understand the impact of God's supremacy in the world and what will happen. We need to let God take hold of our life and to then change it, to shift it, to move it, to transition it, to transform it. 
to lead us into a life of sanctification, a life of always allowing Holy Spirit to move us and to shake us and to form us and to, and to allow us to experience more of Him. And when you let God take hold of your life and to change it, you recognize what it is to really have courage. I want to give you a few reasons right now why we can have courage. And I'm just going to call them out. They're going to come on the screen. Some passages are going to be there with you. And it's something I wanted to give to you, to invite you. I wanted you to have it. Because I think it may be a great thing for you to be able to read before you spend those 10 minutes sitting still with God. Some reasons we can have courage. Here's, we can gain courage because, one, Psalm 46, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. I've talked about that this entire time. God is our refuge. Second, though, I want to keep going. We can gain courage because we have been forgiven. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2 says, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And God is speaking. If you've accepted Christ, saying, take courage, your sins are forgiven. I tell you what, I live a different life knowing my sins are forgiven. I live a different life knowing that my sins are forgiven. Because I don't have to live in that past. It doesn't mean that there aren't sometimes consequences, but I don't have to live in that past. I can live in the freedom of Christ. We can also gain courage because we know God is with us. I think about many passages, knowing God is with us. I think about Joshua 1.9. Wonderful passage for us. Scribble that down. Go read it before you meditate and just sit in stillness with God. We can gain courage because God is stronger than the enemy. Ah. The one with us is greater. Second Chronicles 32 even speaks about how he fights our battles. Second Chronicles 32 verse 7 and 8 speaks about that. God is here to fight with us. He is our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in times of trouble. We can gain courage because we are filled with the Spirit. It's the last one I want to share with you. I just want you to sit in these. We are filled with the Spirit. In fact, in... Um, in Acts 41, it tells us the Holy Spirit filled the people, and so they began to speak with boldness. And so we can have that courage because of these passages, because of the truth of Psalm 46, that it doesn't mean there won't be chaos. It doesn't mean there won't be turmoil. It means that God is with you in the midst of it. Almost everywhere that Jesus went, we know the crowds were gathering and they're running and they're wanting to be around him. They're just wanting to touch him, right? And we know that when he saw all these crowds, he saw all these people hurting, we know that he had compassion on them. that's when I come back to that passage in Matthew chapter 9 when he says the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest 
You see, God is wanting you to live in the courage to make a difference. Knowing that he's going to be with you regardless of the storm. Twenty-three percent know nothing of Christianity. A hundred and twenty-five thousand children die every week. We've spoken about this: depression rates and anxiety rates skyrocketing. Suicide rates skyrocketing. Marriages hurting and falling apart. Churches. 4,000 churches are closing every year in this country. Guys, churches shouldn't have a bad rap. Churches should have a good rap because all we're to be doing is declaring the greatness of Jesus. That regardless of the storm, here's the message of the church today, and it's a message that will preach. Regardless of the crap you have going in life, God is always with you. And he loves you, and he adores you, and he cherishes you. That's the message of the church People shouldn't be running away from the church. They should be running into the church, especially if we have the courage to tell them about the love of Christ. And the only reason we're not speaking is because we don't believe. Because there's no way that I can declare Jesus Christ as my Savior and to watch my neighbors drowning in their hurt and their pain, and then not tell them about the saving power of Jesus. And God, here's the cool, you want to get crazy about this? God is wanting to use you to be his megaphone. And to be his laborers because the harvest is there. He's wanting you to be the megaphone declaring who he is. He's wanting you to be the megaphone of preaching his love, preaching his passion, and you can do that. God is wanting to use you. Will you labor with us? Will you labor for him? God is wanting to use you to repair relationships It doesn't matter if it's fair, guys. To restore relationships. Will you labor with us? Will you labor with us? Some of you are all here. You're working. You're laboring. You're tilling the field. And you're dirty and you're tired and you go to bed at night worn out. But then you wake up the next day ready to do it again. Because you know it's worth it. God's wanting to use you.
will you labor with us? Please. Guys, we're going to have an opportunity. The song we're about to sing is called Mighty Fortress. Such an appropriate song for us today. In fact, I want to go ahead and ask you to stand with me. I want, to, I, want to, I want to give you this challenge very, very briefly. One of the things we're really good at doing in our world and our society is putting things off. All right? That's why I say I start my diet every Monday. We just keep putting it off and putting it off. I'm going to fix it. I'll get to that, honey. Any man ever said, I'll get to that, honey, before? Say it daily. I'll get to that later. Do not put off having the courage that God wants you to act on right now. And for some of you, it is a relationship. You need the courage to repair a relationship. Anybody, is it a relationship for anybody? It doesn't have to be a marriage. Anybody have a relationship that's broken in any way, form, or fashion? You can be honest. Listen, every one of you could raise your hand. This is not shocking anybody. Anybody ever, has anybody ever had financial difficulty? Raise your hand. Has anybody ever had struggles in sharing your faith? Raise your hand. God's giving you the courage. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Labor with us as we declare that he is our fortress. God, we give you thanks. We worship you and we praise you and we declare your goodness in Christ's name. Amen.